You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. We're, we're, we're going to open in prayer here in just a little bit, but we have a, a second piece of scripture here that I want to read before we start. Uh, and that scripture is from Luke chapter 18. And Luke chapter 18, verse 9 uh, through 14, says this. He also told this parable to some who were trusted, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat on his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. When I preach, because I used to pastor a church here in town, and when I do the devotionals at the Gospel Mission, I like to go through a book. Okay, Start at the beginning, work your way through it. When you're asked to come and preach a standalone sermon, I always have this problem because it's like God gives me some weird piece of scripture over here and a weird piece of scripture over there, and then he says, make them work. So I'm asking for indulgence today because I, I really believe that you should have five or six hours of other sermons before this sermon in order to understand what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so... Uh, normal crazy, okay? That's Lester. So, allow me to pray, and we had a lot happen this last week, haven't we? We had the beauty of a baptism today, but we've had uh, Earhart passing away. The mission group and the, the crane operators group that owned that crane that collapsed, we got rain that is needed desperately because we got fires all over. And not only us, Alberta, Montana, Idaho, Washington, uh, we need to pray for rain. And then all we do is turn on the news and find out that the East Coast is flooding. And we say, normal, crazy. So join with me in prayer. Father, we say thank you for Jacob and his desire to honor the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by coming to you in obedience for believers' baptism. And we celebrate this. And Father, we, we look to the future to see how you're going to honor and bless and guide. Father, we pray for Erna right now as Earhart has stepped into your eternity. He doesn't have those aches and pains anymore, and yet 
Erna and his daughters are there to grieve and to mourn his passing. So we ask for your grace and your peace to be upon all the family members. And Father, may we as a church body uh, gather around Erna and lift her up and continue to pray for her and support her. And Lord, we think of these uh, five families that have been so deeply affected by the loss of life of their loved ones in such a, a tragic accident. And we're told that things happen in a twinkling of an eye. And that's all it took, Lord. Father, we pray for the companies that uh, these men work for. Father, there's got to be great stress and grief right there. Father, for their families, we're asking uh, that in the middle of all of this, that you would be at work to show them your love, your comfort, your care. May brothers and sisters in Christ walk and talk with them, lift them up and encourage them in the days, weeks, and months to come. And Father, we pray for our province and uh, the states around us and other provinces. Lord, we need rain here. And we need the, the winds to change so fires burn back upon themselves and go out. And uh, Lord, we ask for your grace in that. But moreover, Father, as we're here today to celebrate Jesus Christ, Father, we pray for the other churches up and down the valley that your spirit will use the word of God to speak into the lives of men and women and boys and girls so that they might come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as well. And we get to celebrate all of that with those who brought that word to us as well. So thank you for them. In Christ's name, amen. So, Meldon stole most of my introduction. I don't know, that guy just has a habit of doing stuff like that. I, I don't know where he gets it, but he... My first question is, who is Lester? <laughs> Bubba? Yeah. Some of you know me through small groups. Some of you know that I have a, a title. Uh, I'm the chaplain at the Gospel Mission downtown. Uh, some of you know that I'm an elder here at Hope. Some of you know that I was a previous pastor at a church here in town. Some of you know Marla. You know that I've been married to her for just shy of 39 years, and we got four kids. And do you know who I am yet? We met at Bible College. I've worked highway construction. I've worked at truck stops and gas stations. I've worked in hardware stores. I pastored a church, I've been a school noon hour monitor, uh, I've helped lots of people move, I do some construction work around my own house every now and then help other people. Do you know who Lester is yet? I teach mental health first aid, does that help? Nope, that doesn't help either, does it? So I want you to understand that Lester is extremely full of all these dichotomies of Lester of sin, of self, of satisfaction, of service, of sacrifice. You see, when we look at each other, who do we see? What do we see? 
Are we willing to go deeper to get to know each other? You see, that's the part of the Christian calling that is so hard to do because we build ourselves into a comfort zone of those around us. They think like us, they talk like us, they smell like us, they dress like us. Uh, and pretty soon, people coming someplace else, they, they look, well, there's no way I can fit in because my dichotomies, my weirdness factors, my sense of humor, my political bent my, doesn't fit. And I think there's a piece in here in these two pieces of scripture that is calling us to reconsider many of the things that we think in our North American Christianity. We're offering some men's training throughout the summer. I didn't sign up because I might end up going to Montana and then they might make me quarantine for two weeks when I get back. I don't know. But I'm planning on going. So I didn't sign up this year, but we're, we're offering this men's boot camp. We've got Bible studies and small groups. We've got the kids' stuff happening out back. All of these parts and pieces help to bring us back into who are we and how do we relate to one another? And then how do we take the gospel that has been taught to us into our community? So, previous to this text I just read, Jesus has been speaking to the crowds about the end times. And then he moves from that to the parable of the persistent widow. And if you understand that one, you understand that unjust judge, he's waiting for this. He's an unjust judge. He's willing to take a payment to give you a judgment. But this woman just makes noise. She keeps walking around wherever he's holding his court. And He's messing up his business life. So he says, I'm going to give that lady a judgment just to get her out of my hair. I'm going to do this one for free. And then, verse 9, he says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the parable in so many ways is really easy, right? Well, anybody else ever heard it preached? Nobody? Oh. Anybody ever read it several different times in your life maybe? Had it in Sunday school? Somebody else used it in another sermon? It's, it seems like it's so easy to interpret and practice, but our basic interpretation usually comes down to this. Don't be a jerk. Don't act like the Pharisee. Wow, that's easy. Let's go home. Sermon's done. Now, young people, especially young people, you teenagers and teenagers and 20-agers and old guys like me, if you can catch this one, because it took me a lot of years It took me way too many years to catch some of this. And if you can catch it when you're young, it's going to be a great blessing to you as you grow older. It's going to be a great blessing to you as you minister to other people. If you can catch some of these pieces here, 
You see, don't be like the Pharisee. That's, that's our takeaway so many times, and it's, it's a good takeaway. But there's so many times we make this little snap judgment without seeing a bigger picture in it. There's a trap. Two men went up to pray. Okay, let's start. Right. Pharisees are bad dudes, right? Anybody else vote with me? I'll vote that way. Pharisees are bad dudes. Don't do what the Pharisees do. Jesus is always arguing with them. He tells them to, us to be not be like them. He says, beware the leaven. Beware the sin of the Pharisees. And yet, if you look at the Pharisees, here's what you're going to find out. They are the right wing of Jewish religious culture. They are the conservative moral minority of Jewish religious culture. Their liberal counterparts, the Sadducees, controlled the temple and synagogue worship systems. And so the Pharisees were always having to fight against this liberalness of it's all about looking good where the Pharisees were all about, let's do good. They were so black and white. This Pharisee, as he prays, he gives us all of these positives. Look at what he says here. I thank you that I'm not like other people. Now, I'm going to say right now, I'm very thankful that I've never seen that attitude at Hope. But I have been around other churches that were so busy with their nose stuck in the air saying, we're so glad we're not like those other churches, those other people. The attitude does happen in our Christian circles. But he says, I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not like that guy over there, you know, tax collector. I don't cheat people so that I have a living. I fast twice a week. Isn't that special, God? I tithe of whatever I get. You see, if you look at the scriptures and you look at the the historical evidence we have about the, the Pharisees, you'll find that most Pharisees went above and beyond in their active duty, in their idea of spiritual worship, than the other people of Israel. These were people that would memorize the whole Old Testament. These were people that went around. Jesus said about them, he says, you circumnavigate the, the globe to make a convert, but then you make them twice as bad a child of hell as yourself because they would twist people up. They would bind them to legalisms and, and keeping of rules and the fanaticism of the, 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 the law and keeping the law. And then we see there's a tax collector. He's already been mentioned by the Pharisee. He's already been pointed out that he's one of the others. He's different. Sometimes I think when we read this, we, we wrongly interpret who the tax collector is. I think most of us think he's like a homeless person. 
He's like a, a person that's one paycheck away from getting evicted. Is that what is usually in our mind when we read that part? But if we study history and if we look at the scriptures talking about tax collectors, nobody would differentiate a quality of the man's clothing from that of the Pharisee or his education or his speech or his housing. You see, Pharisees were high income personas. Yeah, they lied, they cheated, they stole from other people to get that money. But in accordance to all the other pieces that you would measure a Pharisee and tax collector, they looked the same. They had the same clothing and they went to the same schools and they had all the, the same uh, abilities to go in uh, the community. But there's a difference in this man's demeanor. And the scripture is very clear about that. He says, uh, he demonstrated this because he would not even look toward heaven. There's no pretense there. He's not looking at God saying, God, look at me. He's, he's down here. He's where you and I are usually walking, isn't he? And he beats on himself saying, God, be merciful. It's an honest prayer. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now let's break his prayer down just by the commas. God. He knew who he had to answer to. He knew that there was somebody bigger than himself. He knew that uh, he was living a lifestyle of cheating other people so that uh, he could continue to his lifestyle. He knew all of these things, but he realizes there's something bigger than me and one of these days I'm going to have to answer and he says God be merciful he knew that there was somebody he had to answer to and then he says be merciful this implies that he knew what he deserved and he's asking God not to give it to him you ever been there <laughs> I knew I deserved a good old-fashioned butt-kicking, <laughs> but I sure didn't want to get it. <laughs> I've been here several times in my life, and I'm betting some of you have too. You knew that that's what you deserved. And yet, what did we want? We wanted God to be merciful. We wanted God to give us what we didn't deserve. We wanted that grace. Then he says, be merciful to me. It's individualized. It's personal, personalized. It's, it's much like that old hymn that, uh, oh, I don't even remember when I first heard it. It's something like this. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, O Lord, not my brother, not my sister. It's me, O Lord standing in need of prayer. You know, sometimes it's really easy to pray about politicians, to pray about weirdness factors in the church, but it sort of stinks to have to get down on our knees and say, God, it's me. I'm the reason these things stink. I haven't been diligent in praying for the politicians. 
I too busy praying about them. I haven't been busy praying for my neighbor. I've been busy praying about him. These are the things that he's saying. And then he says, be merciful to me, a sinner. Okay? Sin is an archery term. So if the back of this is your target, pretty good-sized target from where most of you are at, and you throw a rock at it, and you miss it by this much, you sinned. See, the word sin is an archery term. It says you missed the mark. The mark is if you, if, if you even scrape it, you hit it. Well, what is the mark? The mark is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The mark is the salvation, the forgiveness of sins, repentance. All of these parts and pieces are the mark of the high calling of God. And he says... God, I know I missed that mark. Now, if you want to look at uh, scriptures, you're going to find other dichotomies that, that are in the scripture. We have Cain and Abel. Think about that. Cain and Abel. They both offered a sacrifice. There's nothing in scripture that says Cain didn't offer a right sacrifice. It said God did not accept what Cain did. But there was nothing in the scripture that says God didn't see that Cain offered a good sacrifice. You see, there was something different in the heart of Cain than there was in Abel. You start looking at that and you go, wow, there's something different there. Yes, there is. And Cain, a few days later, he goes out and kills his brother. He recognized it himself. You see, Esau and Jacob, two Twin brothers, raised by the same parents and so different in demeanor. And yet God says of Esau, Esau have I hated, Jacob have I loved. He didn't hate Esau because of Esau. Esau had every right to have a relationship with God. But he knew what Esau's descendants were going to do to Jacob's descendants, to Israel. And we still see it today. It's called the Middle East. The Arab nations and Israel. And the continual bombardment of each other. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. King Saul, King David. Two different people. God used them both. One to establish the kingdom and the other to take the kingdom into uh, what it was supposed to be prophetically. All of these parts and pieces, very different people. New Testament, Paul and Barnabas, they go on a missionary journey and they start the second one and they have a fight. Anybody here been that way? You're going to go on vacation with your wife. And the first time you get in the car because you've been so busy packing the car, you have a fight before you leave the driveway. Now, what are you laughing at? See, that only happens in my family. And I got a nice wife. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the normal crazy one. You're all laughing now, because you know what it's like, don't you? All of these pieces are right here inside of us. I read a sermon a short while ago. 
It was well written, and it was completely garbage. It was so far off the mark that it was an embarrassment that this person would call themselves a, a pastor or preacher. He's writing about this passage, and he says, a better translation should read, and this is from verse uh, 14, I tell you that this man, alongside the other, went down to his home justified before God. Now, if you read in your ESV or your NIV or whatever else you're reading, it says, I tell you the truth, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Now, this guy's idea is, well, God is so big and so gracious that God can take care of everything. You know, that, that's a 100% accurate statement. God is so big and so gracious that he can and will take care of stuff. But see, if you read verse 9 here, it says, he told this parable to some who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You see, this, this preacher, he's ignoring the very presupposition that Jesus started with. He's ignoring the fact that this man is self-righteous. But he says, well, in other places we can translate this word alongside of. So, you know, God is so big that, wait a minute, you got self-righteous arrogance is now being justified. And a guy that has confession and repentance is justified. You see, the scriptures aren't that way. We can't play that loosely with the scripture. It's specific. It's a contrast. It's a comparison. One man was so busy patting himself on the back, and the other guy was saying, God, I need what you have. I need your mercy. I need you to save me. Now, here's where normal crazy kicks in. So now if you turn back to the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, Pastor Meldon preached through these. This is when my wife and I started coming. He was in the Beatitudes. Uh, went through the Sermon on the Mount that summer, fall. I think he did a really wonderful job. So if you need to go back and re-listen to those sermons, go, go there. I, I need you to make a jump here, though, okay? I want you to hold on to Pharisee, tax collector, parts, pieces. But if you jump back here, the Sermon on the Mount, and the first thing I want you to pay really close attention to is the sermon wasn't written to Christians. Now, Matthew is writing to believers to give them the history of Jesus, but the sermon was not preached to Christians. Now, most of the times when we preach the Sermon on the Mount, we preach it as it's written to Christians. It's not necessarily wrong, it's just how we do it. But if you go back to who Jesus was talking to, he's talking to tax collectors and Pharisees and Sadducees and men and women and boys and girls, and he's talking to the local grocer and he's talking to the fishermen and he's talking to all of these people. 
But there's really something positive here that we have to catch hold of in verses 13 and 14. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And he says, you are the light of the world. Let's look at salt just very, very briefly. It's integral for body functions and mental health. Okay, let's just leave it right there. My illustration for this is Marla's dad. Marla's mom, uh, she looks at me weird whenever I eat at her table because I want a salt and pepper shaker sitting on the table because she doesn't use hardly any salt in any food. Well, Marla's dad was having some health problems and they decided that his uh, high blood pressure was because of uh, too much salt in his diet. So they took the salt out and about three days later he's He's not normal crazy, he's crazy. Okay, he's 94 years old or something at this point, but he can't make a decision because he can't put two and two together to get four every single time. He would start on one subject and end up on another subject. And he would just, and so they finally convinced the doctors, you can't take, you know, he's got to have the electrolytes in his system. So, But Marla's mom heard, take the salt out, so all salt disappeared. And, you know, within just a short time period, his mental functions went this way, which was not good for her. She's in a wheelchair trying to take care of her husband. Uh, not good, folks. They got the, the salts back and got him, you know, drinking some water. and His mental stuff came back. But not only is it for our brain, it's about our blood flow. We need salt in our system for our blood to do what it's supposed to do. But it also kills weeds. Anybody watching any of the, the news items about Roundup? Roundup is a salt-based weed killer, except it kills a whole lot more than weeds. But it cures food. We salt ham, stuff like that. It stops infection. All you need is a cut on your hand. You just grab a bunch of salt and slap it in there, right? Anybody ever scrape their arm when they're sweating really bad? Oh, yeah. It feels real good. But it kills those bacteria. Salt is really good for that type of stuff. But it also ruins croplands. In Judges chapter 9, verse 45, the Israelites salted some people's property because they didn't want them to be able to come back and reform their city. So they salted the farmland so that it wouldn't grow crops. But it builds and enhances flavors. Now, see, I, I can divide the church on just one theology here, right here, right now. One theology. You put salt on your watermelon before you eat it or not? Oh, we've already divided the church, see? Because I'm the only one that understands that putting salt on watermelon enhances the flavor. You ever eat eggs without any salt and pepper or any other? Sort of bland, aren't they? We love to add the flavor, to enhance the flavor. Now if we look at this, Jesus is preaching to these people, he's teaching these things in the Sermon on the Mountain. You might not necessarily be a believer. But Jesus says that from creation, 
You are to be flavorful. You are to be healing. You are to be needed in the body of other human, humans. You're supposed to be there to participate, to take care of their life, and they're there to take care of yours. If you look at Genesis 1, 27 and 28, he says, let us make man in our image. So in the image of God, he created them, male and female. You move forward into the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, and he says, God put eternity in their hearts. You see, you may not be a believer, but God put something of himself into you, and then he looks at you, and it's a positive, present, perfect tense. You are the salt of the earth. Now, there's important words right in that. It says, but if salt has lost its taste. Now, we get really screwed up here because we think, oh, if I screwed up so bad, I can, I can never have a relationship with God. And that's not what it's saying. It says the salt has lost its taste. And he's using salt as an illustration. We think that if we've screwed up so bad that we're nothing but waste. That's not what God says throughout Scripture. You see, 1 John 1.9 applies here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This is the, the tax collector saying, God, <laughs> I know that I'm supposed to actually participate in a wholesome manner in my community, but I, I need your mercy because I'm a sinner. Then he says, you are light. Genesis 1, 3 through 5 and 14 through 19. John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, uh, John 3, 16 through 22, talks about light. Light separates from darkness. It gives vision. It establishes seasons. Light cleanses the air and cleanses water because of the UV transmissions that are in it. It improves our mood. It helps our bodies process vitamin D. Anybody here get seasonal affective disorder? Every fall, winter, when all of a sudden the clouds in here. Vitamin D processing. And the sun helps that so that we have good mental health. It can give a healthy skin glow or it can cause cancer. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's giving us an idea of how valuable he is to us so that we can walk like that tax collector and understand that is sin and I need a savior. You are encouragement. You are illumination. That's what he's saying. You are the light. You cannot be hidden. You're supposed to be standing tall so that everybody has light from you. You shine in such a manner that people sense, see, experience, feel the goodness of God. Now, right underneath that, he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under. This is like salt losing its flavor. You see, there's a double illustration in this little piece that he's telling us. 
There's a double illustration. Sometimes we're not very good light, are we? Sometimes we have bad behavior. Sometimes we have bad character. But you know what? We can still be seen. We might think that we're hiding it, but our, our spouse sees it, our kids see it. Uh, our in-laws, outlaws, uh, co-workers, bosses, you know, friends, they all see it. But sometimes we try and hide that peace. But we are to always shine. And that's what he says. You can't hide it. Okay, let's see if I can pull some of this together here. Several traps in here. You got a Pharisee and you got a tax collector. We got salt and light, or we can have flavorless and dark. And so I would ask this question. Who do you want at your church? Who do you want at your church? Because sometimes we look and say, that Pharisee, he, he's clean. He tithes. He worships. He's ambitious toward life and God. And he's not like others. And that's what we want our church to be like. I'm an elder at this church because I believe in this church and in one part of me says yes. And that hurts me to say that. That Yes, we want people that are walking with God so that they're clean and that they know how to give, not just to the church, but into the community. And we want people that are worshiping and ambitious toward God. And they want to not just... Uh, sit soak and sour with other believers but they actually want to take the word of God forward we want the Pharisee no we don't we don't but we do you see that ugly dichotomy of who Lester is You see, the problem with that Pharisee is he's praying his resume. So what's our resume? Let's, let's, let's pray our resume. Our church, oh, Father, look at our church. We pray our genetics. We pray our financial status. We pray our looks. We pray all of these things, and we're not actually praying. We're posturing. We're posturing. You want to see a good resume to, to look at? Go to Philippians chapter 3 chapter or verse 3 through 8 and then you see again at verses 9 through 11 the apostle Paul tells you his resume I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees I'm the tribe of Benjamin according to the law I'm faultless he does all of this stuff and then he says I count it but manure because I actually I want to know the excellency of knowing Christ as Lord and Savior you know, when I, when I read that, I, I, I think of Peter on the night that Christ was arrested, his denials. 
And then after the resurrection, and they're at the Sea of Galilee, and they're being restored. You see, I see that tax collector there. You see, tax collectors stumble. They backslide. They relapse. They show up in front of God three days later, and they got alcohol in their breath, or maybe a, a girl on their arm, or whatever. But they say, God, be merciful. To me, the sinner. When God first showed me these two texts and said, put them together, I, I was banging my head on the wall. I, I can't because, because I can't. But there's a verse in Scripture, it's 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's right there. It's either true or it's not. That God is big enough to take care of me being a Pharisee one day and patting myself on the back or me being the tax collector the very next hour and saying, God, I need your mercy. That God is big enough to take care of it. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Yet Christ lives in me. The life I live by faith, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Pharisees, we need to quit comparing ourselves to others. Tax collectors, we need to learn that the mercy is there. And then as we look at this piece of scripture as I close. The beautiful part of that Sermon on the Mount. Jesus never said, when you perform better, when you jump through the right hoops, when you dress the right way, when you go to the right church, then you'll be salt and light. He says, you are salt. You are light. And then throughout the scriptures, he tells us over and over again, you are loved. Let's pray. Father, I say thank you for this time to share. Father, there's a whole lot here that just needs further investigation and digging. Father, help us to be those disciples that are going to be like the Bereans. They go and check the scriptures to see if it's true. Say thank you for this time together. Bless our fellowship afterwards. In Christ's name, amen.